Welcome to PS, the Puget Sound podcast, where we're talking to members of our campus community about their Puget Sound experiences. I'm Elena Becker, and my guest today is Quinnell Bethelme, an alum in the class of 2017. While at Puget Sound, Quinnell majored in philosophy and communications and media studies and minored in classics. She now works at Georgia Public Broadcasting and is headed to law school this fall. Today, as always, the Puget Sound podcast is recorded and produced by Moonyard Studio right here in Tacoma. Here's Quinnell. Quinnell, I want to start with a story, <laughs> which is we were in college at the same time. And you were very much someone where I like knew who you were, knew your name, recognized you, but we had not met. I think we maybe had a bunch of mutual friends or had done the thing where like we became friends on Facebook before we got to campus. And I very much perceived you as somebody who was like so cool, right? Where of course I would know who you were, but I had no expectations that you would know me. And in um, orientation, of our sophomore year. So sort of the end of the first week of classes, there's log jam, the big club fair out on Todd field. And I Mm -hmm. have such a clear memory of walking down commencement walk through all these tables and you were tabling for something and you looked over at me and we made eye contact and you said, hi, Elena, as if we had had like, had been talking earlier that day. (laughs) And I remember thinking two things. One, OMG, Quinnell knows my name. (laughs) (laughs) and two just how impactful it was to me to have somebody lean into the fact that I knew who you were you knew who I was and that we could just be friendly to each other in that way without needing the big fanfare of an introduction and that really changed the way that I thought about introducing myself to people in college. And I don't think I've ever told you that, but I really let go of a lot of my sort of whatever about, ooh, you know, I know who that person is, but we've never met. And so I should act like I don't know them. Um, And that was just such an, I thought an extraordinary thing and such a like self-possessed and kind thing for someone to do. Oh, wow. Well, that's, (laughs) I'm so arrested. Um, That's, really wonderful. I don't remember what I was tabling for. It was the end of our freshman year. I think the beginning of Uh, our sophomore year. Yeah. Oh, beginning of sophomore year. Hmm. Maybe res life or I was probably busy with res life all through that year. (laughs) Um, Perhaps students for liberty. I bring it up because that always struck me as so characteristic of you that you were somebody who seemingly to a third party was so friendly and so comfortable and so willing to get outside your comfort zone. And that was really reinforced to me once I found out that you were from Atlanta (laughs) and you had come all the way from Atlanta to almost as far as you can go for college. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I definitely think those were all very accurate ways to describe me, especially at the time. Um, I, felt like at UPS that I knew everyone. I really did think that I knew everyone. (laughs) I I don't know if there was a face that I hadn't seen, especially by the end of my sophomore year. And sometimes I'd see any person and I 
would be so excited that I knew that they were a transfer student. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'd have to go greet them and, you know, tell them welcome to campus as if it was my campus. <laughs> how, um, like, how did that happen for you? Are, are you just an especially social person or did you feel like that was a function of the way the institution was or a function of the way you were as a person? Um, I guess sort of all of those things together. I, well, okay. When I came to UPS, I was supposed to be in AL, which for Mm -hmm. those of you who live on campus is a smaller hall on North Quad. And I was supposed to be in a a hall that was all studying together throughout the semester. Uh, But while I was on the Facebook page, uh, there was somebody who had found that their roommate didn't want to live with them because of their sexuality or something like that. And I just volunteered. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, sweet, a roommate that I might know or be able to talk to or talk to before we get to school. And I just, I volunteered. I sent an email to Res Life casually. and was like, hi, Um, which was very, (laughs) now that I've been in Res Life, how strange to just have this (laughs) freshman (laughs) just volunteering to to switch roommates last minute to solve an issue. Um, It's like, hi, I, Tony doesn't have a roommate. I volunteers tribute. And I became his roommate and I lived in teepee. So I went from a small North Quad hall to living in Todd Fibbs. And I was just determined to know everyone because I went to a very, very small all girls high school and middle school. Um, In our school, when I graduated, there were 227 students and our graduating class was 28 students. Wow. So I was used to knowing everybody. Yeah. And I wasn't sure really how to approach even a co-ed school. So I just I just tried to introduce myself a lot. I tried to join some clubs. And um, at the time, UPS was 0.6% Black. Mm-hmm. So um, it felt like everybody knew me anyway, because there were only like... Ugh, two or three black girls in our freshman class. Yeah. And I don't know. So people were always talking to me or mistaking me for somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) And I just ended up just, just talking to everyone and people telling me stories about other people that they'd met and people they'd gone on dates with. And then by the end of the semester, it just felt like, like campus was just this small little home and that I should greet everyone. (laughs) Did you feel like the distinctiveness of being a handful of Black women on campus, like, do you, for for you, is that something that facilitated connections or was it something that felt like, I, like, I hate this, like, this is a negative, I stand out in this way and I wish I didn't? Oh, both. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of duality there. Um, it was nice to be known and it's nice to be easily remembered. Like, if I met somebody I was sooner going to forget their name than they were going to forget mine. I don't know if I would think that's nice. I mean, it is nice to be remembered, but nothing stresses me out. Like somebody coming up to me in public and knowing me and I like, do not think we've ever met before. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's true. But I, you know, okay, I'll tell a story. I remember the very first day on campus um, and I didn't even know anybody in the state of Washington, Mm -hmm. except for my roommate who we talked online. Um, and I walked into the sub and there was a guy there, a football player named Dan DeRosa, who was 
sitting at a table by himself and I'd never walked into a lunchroom and not known where to sit ever in my entire mm-hmm. life. <laughs> I had gone to a small school where everybody knows everybody. It wasn't, it, I don't know, it was, I guess, a moment that people have in high school a fair amount, but you know, I've seen it on TV. It felt very cliche. And he just sort of waved at me like he knew me and asked me to sit down. <laughs> and I didn't realize at the time that people, the football players tend to all sit together. Right. <laughs> and like so one sat, big long table. Yeah, yeah, one big long table. <laughs> but it was just Dan. So I sat with Dan and talked to him a while. And he talked to me about how, you know, football players don't usually get to go through classic orientation because they're doing training camp. And so they don't meet a lot of people besides each other for those first few weeks sometimes. And then suddenly I was surrounded by the entire team. <laughs> 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 and all of a sudden I had some friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you ever? <laughs> and they were very conspicuous. <laughs> um, but I, it definitely helped me to feel less lonely being able to, to talk to people and to have people remember me, um, especially having been only part of a handful of black women on campus where feeling lonely was uh, pretty common. Yeah. <laughs> Not being able to, to have that camaraderie or share your experiences that way with other people. But it was nice to know that you very quickly had friends and people who, who did want to talk to you and who would remember you and who would just could come up to you anywhere. So it was a little bit of a back and forth that as people got comfortable just doing that, just talking to me, then I became more comfortable sort of speaking to other people and not thinking that that was odd, which I didn't really to begin with having gone to such a small school, but feeling really welcomed by campus in that way. I never felt like, oh, I could just, I could just disappear. I certainly couldn't. <laughs> You sort of anticipated the follow-up question I was going to ask you, but was that kind of engaging with other people, like even people you didn't know, like you said you walked into the sub and saw someone you had never met before who was like, come sit down. Was is that always easy for you? Is that something that comes naturally to you? Or is there a degree or was there a degree for you of, okay, I'm going to have to kind of like... Uh, get up my courage and, and push through whatever my discomfort is or whatever my nerves are to go sit down with these people and make these friends. I think forcing myself out of my comfort zone is maybe part of my personality, but I mean, I don't know if it was always that way. I think I had sort of like an, you know, internal questions that I asked myself before I go into a situation about, you know, what are people expecting? How are they going to perceive me? should I be worried? Um, What am I going to say if somebody says something negative? But I think that at least in, in high school and middle school at our, my old school, they really emphasized getting out of your comfort zone. That was something we heard all the time. I don't know if it was coined during the time that we were in high school, but everything was getting out of our comfort zone. You had to leave the country to graduate. You had to be part of a travel program and it, you needed to, to, you don't have to play a sport, but extracurriculars were normal. So if you didn't have something, then you should sign up for something or try something new or start a new club. And that was something that really drew me to UPS, even though I didn't have much experience with that till the end. When I came to tour, there were theme houses and it just felt like a lot of people were 
always trying to start something new. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I I think I I definitely still have that moment where I'm, I'm very nervous, but I think it's, it's kind of familiar to me at this point. It's a little comforting Mm -hmm. (laughs) to be like, okay, I'm here again, (laughs) where I need to get out of my comfort zone and I can just, I can just do it. (laughs) Yeah. And also I imagine to know that there are good things on the other side of that feeling. Like that was a big thing for me in college was to sort of have enough reinforcement of the fact that, okay, like if I do this thing that feels scary or intimidating or hard, you know, nine times out of 10, that has led me to something really positive. Mm -hmm. And in that way, the feeling does start to feel not just familiar, but also like, oh, okay, like this is okay. Yeah. It may be even exciting. Like this Mm -hmm. is going to be a brand new start to something. I'm going to talk to somebody new. It's going to be maybe nerve wracking, but maybe that's my best friend right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so yeah, I definitely think it at this point and maybe even by, you know, my first or second semester in undergrad, it was, it was a part of my personality to just try something new. And if it doesn't work out, that's, that's all right. Well, and how did you happen to try Puget Sound at all? I mean, you are from Atlanta. I, you are, I think, one of three students that I know from Georgia. I assume there are more because I wouldn't have crossed paths with everybody. But that is not like the main state that students at UPS are from. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, how did it even get on your radar? Um, well, we owe my presence at UPS to... Um, an admissions officer who used to work there named Kyle Hogan. Mm. Um, if you never knew Kyle, he was a very, very positive looking man in a bow tie often. <laughs> and I was at a, uh, um, what was it called? A college fair, mm. but it was very, very large. It was uh, held at a school called Westminster in Georgia. And it's a very, very big, at least very affluent, um, private school. And they host a big college fair and there are 300 schools there and they're all crammed into a tight space, a post COVID nightmare. (laughs) Um, and everybody looks pretty miserable to be there. So you have people who've been thinking about where they're going to go to college since they were in the sixth grade, very aggressively talking to all of the the visitors from Harvard and Columbia and Mm -hmm. and NYU and Princeton. And then, you know, there's all of these other schools, you know, just sort of trying to to reach out to potential students, uh, to prospective students. And I was a little bit overwhelmed. I hadn't been thinking about where I wanted to attend college for very long. I think it was my junior year. And I, there was a table with no one at it. No one was speaking to this man. Mm -hmm. And he looked so happy to be there. He must've been the one in a thousand people at the Westminster College Fair who was genuinely happy to be there. And so I decided that I was going to talk to him about whatever this school was, (laughs) Puget Sound. And I talked to him about it a bit and I took all of the the flyers and the paperwork. And the next day, uh, he called our school's college counselor and asked to set up a visit. Now, our school welcomed visits, but we had a very well-planned calendar (laughs) when all different universities were going to come visit, gave students time to sign up and to speak to the representatives 
and not Kyle. Kyle just reached out to my college counselor, told her that he'd spoken to me and that he wanted to have a meeting at AGS. And I I guess I felt like I was the only person who spoke to Kyle Hogan that day. I'm not (laughs) sure, but I went to the meeting and we talked for three hours about the University of Puget Sound. And he just loved that school and you could just feel it. And so I took the paperwork home to my mom. We went to visit. And after the tour, I was, I was pretty set and I applied early decision. Mm. (laughs) I just, I loved the campus and I loved how much Kyle loved the school. It, it gave me, I don't know, a lot of hope for the sort of, the sort of environment that could give you that much loyalty to a place felt a lot like AGS, which felt a lot like home. Did you have any expectations? Like, I really think I'm going to major in X or I really am looking for a club that is focused on Y or Z. Um, I had an idea of who I might be mm-hmm. and I was very wrong. I thought I was <laughs> going to do a uh, pre-med and psychology. Okay. Um, and, but I did apply undecided, mm-hmm. but when I got there, I was part of, um, a psychology orientation group and the hall where I was supposed to live were all doing, um, humanities. They were part of a humanities studies you know, like an honors hall type of situation. Yeah. And after my first semester doing psychology, I, was, I just didn't think it was fun. It seemed <laughs> a lot less about, I don't know, getting to really reflect on human thoughts and emotions and feelings than I really thought it was going to be. Mm. And a lot more numbers and data and sort of, cold reviews of those things and for a minute I was pretty lost but when I registered at the beginning of first semester freshman year a lot of the classes I'd wanted to take to begin with were full which is the experience for a lot of students and I had a couple of my orientation group members who were sitting next to me and they were talking about you know how their classes were also full and what they were going to take instead and they mentioned this class called Philosophy of the Mind, taught by Justin Tian. And they thought that sounded interesting. It was a, what, 400-level philosophy class with no prerequisite requirements, which, <laughs> which now looking back, what? Well, and if people don't know, like, the course numbers in college tend to go up one, like, hundredth per year. So a 400-level class would be, like, a senior level class. And you can select a little bit on that, but that's a big swing for a first year. (laughs) It it absolutely was. How'd it go? Um, And it only had one seat left. Mm. So they were talking about it and I went to look at it and I thought, oh, that sounds so fun. That sounds like what I thought psychology was going to be. Mm. Um, And the next thing I know, I hear them going, oh, the class is full. And I'm like, oh, that's so sad. (laughs) So I snagged the last seat in that class. And I also took logic of language initially to get out of a math requirement. Uh, I wouldn't suggest that anyone necessarily take logic of language to get out of a math requirement. It's not that much simpler, but it is different. And I really did enjoy sort of argumentative proofs. I enjoyed philosophy of the mind and I hadn't 
chosen a major yet. I don't think I really chose a major until my junior year. But by the end of my sophomore year, I had already completed a minor in philosophy. So it kind of chose me. (laughs) Run me through all of your majors and minors, because there are several. Okay, well, um, I have a major in philosophy, and I also got a major in communications and media studies, and a minor in classics. And where did the classics and the communications and media studies come from? Uh, Well, communications and media studies was, well, see, philosophy chose me. I chose communications and media studies, (laughs) uh, which... Uh, to anybody who's thinking about that, is philosophy twice. (laughs) They would not like for me to say that, but it's true. (laughs) Um, And classics came in my sophomore year where I started off taking a uh, sort of Greek religion course with, or Greek myth course with Brett Rogers. And I've always sort of, loved classics but you know the way a kid does loving hercules and all those old stories and i I had lots of um mythology books as a kid Mm -hmm. and then i took um classic myth with brett and i fell in love with it again and also i fell in love with brett teaching classes Mm -hmm. he is so fun and so engaging that i just continued to take classes with brett and then eventually I had to take Latin, but that's, that was the price <laughs> I paid to get to take a thesis course with, with Brett Rogers. And I really enjoyed that. And it really changed the way that I saw a lot of media. And um, my thesis course, Classical Receptions of Science Fiction, which was, I think, about seven students. And there was a conference that Brett actually hosted on campus with a colleague halfway through the semester. And... We got to talk about all of the things that we loved. We got to really nerd out on the media that we consume, video games, television shows, and then talk about how all of those things link to classical mythology. Mm. And from there, I was I was just I was just in love with the subject. Want to study psychology in Austria, home to Sigmund Freud? How about getting up close and personal with lemurs in Madagascar or advance your Chinese and gain on-the-job learning with an internship in Taiwan? Hi, I'm Roy Robinson, Director of International Programs at Puget Sound, and we're pleased to offer students more than 100 different study abroad opportunities on six continents. We believe studying abroad is a perfect complement to a liberal arts education and helps students to become creative problem solvers and develop into global citizens. It also connects students to an international perspective on our campus right here in Tacoma. Students at Puget Sound can pair their time abroad with an academic major in international political economy, biology, Asian studies, environmental policy and decision making, or many more globally focused fields. You can learn more about these opportunities at the Puget Sound website or in many of the stories highlighted right here in the Puget Sound podcast. It strikes me that philosophy and classics, communications and media studies a little less so, but philosophy and classics are sort of two of the stereotypical majors that people trot out 
and actually another one of these is what I majored in is anthropology, when they want to be argumentative about how are you ever going to get a job? <laughs> so <those laughs> are as people, so I talk to a lot of high school students looking at college. I talk to a lot of families looking at college and some percentage of those folks are thinking a lot about how do I take my education and turn it into an outcome? Before we get into exactly what that journey was like for you, will you tell folks what you're doing now? All right. Well, uh, I have a couple jobs right now, two part-time jobs. Um, One of them is in retail, working with a company called Sustainable that creates uh, sustainable materials for your home. They sell exclusively handmade and fair trade items. And the other one is at Georgia Public Broadcasting, uh, where I work as a production assistant for various television shows, uh, amongst them the Senate debate last December. Which, can we just do a quick sidebar? The Senate debates last December, for obvious reasons, made national news and were um, kind of unusual in the way they played out in that one of the candidates didn't show up. He did not. He told us beforehand he wasn't coming. (laughs) What is that experience like from the production side? I mean, to figure out how to produce a one-sided debate, which sort of by definition is not one-sided. I mean, what happened? <laughs> well, honestly, he, he told us that he told the, the Georgia Public Broadcasting that he wasn't coming. And so we just set it up such that uh, John Ossoff could have the time that he was originally going to be allotted to answer questions from his opposition to talk about what he wanted to. <laughs> Honestly, um, there were there were some questions, obviously, from the um, the monitors, mediators. Um, but for the most part, because he had so much extra time that would usually be used to respond to his opposition, he was just able to talk about his message and uh, talk a little bit about cowardice. Mm. But uh, from a production standpoint, it wasn't too too difficult. We had a fair amount of rehearsal and sort of setting up for that. If anything, I thought that there would I honestly thought he was going to show up <laughs> I was like last truly, minute yeah and that would have been challenging to all of a sudden you know <laughs> I've had this plan have had done all the light tests for this empty podium yeah and for him to show up but he really did not and <laughs> I mean it I think for some people it made it a easier choice maybe yeah. not but I definitely think that uh, from a production standpoint, it it wasn't too complicated, but it's just important for us to stay when we're doing that unbiased. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you write the the prompter for the introductions and, you know, you have to sort of still give this person an introduction and mention sure. that they're not coming and, you know, a very unbiased way. Right. And I imagine trying to state they're not coming in an unbiased way takes some active thought, right? Like about how do you package that? So it really does sound neutral. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've chosen not to attend. And it was, it was interesting, especially seeing their, their bios side by side where um, John Ossoff previously led a company that investigates international corruption <laughs> and uh, his opposition um, owned a trading company after having been accused just previously of insider trading it was it was i'm sure very hard <laughs> to deliver those that way as somebody who did that i did the the sort of screen testing for mm-hmm. a lot of our our talent before they show up 
and you know seeing those side by side on paper was truly truly hilarious but also very stressful (laughs) what motivated you to work in broadcasting was that a outgrowth of the fact that you had studied communication and media did it come from someplace else entirely um it did come from having having studied communication and media but also um you know, people aren't necessarily wrong about it being difficult to get a job with the with these um, majors, including communications. And I, I do think people who ask these questions really should be asking whether or not it's easy to get a job in your field with the other degrees as well. Right. <laughs> it is. There are a lot of very, very competitive um, just uh, careers. And after having looked for a year, I wanted to work in advertisement and marketing, mm-hmm. just to some sort of advertising, perhaps a writer's room or social media management. And I spent quite a lot of time applying for jobs like that. And though in the meantime, I worked at museums and I found part-time jobs, but I simply could not get anyone to respond to this. So I decided to apply for an unpaid internship at Georgia Public Broadcasting. And they are just an incredibly welcoming environment. Like from the second you get there, I hate to advocate for something that's state run in a red state like this one. But (laughs) even with all of the budget cuts, (laughs) they really, really care about their jobs. And they have a lot to say about the way that public broadcasting does give people a voice. It, you know, allows people to become producers and really have these shows that, you don't see on other channels. I know a lot of people aren't watching public television, but they are listening to public radio. So we also have, you know, our partnership with NPR. But I think that seeing some place that did work in the same field that I wanted to be in, but as opposed to all of these other just really locked areas of media, um, they were really open to having new voices and to even having people who, who hadn't done that before to training people and whatever it is they want to do and however they want to contribute. And so, you know, when they asked me to stay on for other projects, I'm excited always. Do you feel like you were using skills from your philosophy degree or skills you learned studying classics, even though you know, maybe a casual observer wouldn't draw a straight line from those degrees to a, a job in broadcasting in the same way they might from a communications degree? Um, I do, but I think more than anything, a lot of those jobs that, you know, they called soft skills are most applicable because of the amount of writing that you might do, whether you're, you're writing a script or whether you're helping somebody edit something. Like a lot of I did have to go through a lot of different kinds of training for things I didn't know how to do. Sure, technical skills or... Absolutely. A lot of technical work in production. But more than anything, just being able to communicate well isn't just something that comes from communications, Mm -hmm. (laughs) honestly. Um, It comes a lot from being able to present your own arguments and your own stances that I got a lot from philosophy and from classics. You know, it's so interesting. One thing I learned once I graduated that nobody told me and I had to figure out on my own was that there is a big difference between having a skill and demonstrating that you have that skill. Mm -hmm. And that was something that it took me a little bit just to figure out is that like, I might know I'm a killer writer, 
but I have to figure out how to package that in an experience or in a bullet point on my resume so that it comes across. And that is an interesting thing for soft skills is how do I make sure that I am, you know, marketing myself so that it's clear I have these, these skills and talents. Uh, I completely agree. I do think in some ways the work that you do as an undergraduate student serves as a portfolio. Mm-hmm. However, I wish that there was more of it, not to critique my professors who are all wonderful and perfect, truly. <laughs> um, but I do wish that there was more of an approach to the academic work that says, hey, this assignment specifically is meant to look like a portfolio piece because yeah. more than anything, you spent four years doing something. That's a long time when you look at what people ask for for your experience. And when, you know, you get out of school and people say three to five years experience and you're like, wow, how am I ever supposed to get three to five years of experience if everywhere I apply needs three to five years of experience? And I think that your undergraduate education should serve as four years of experience and you should have a portfolio to show for that. So whether it's that, hey, as part of this, you need to start an Instagram account and manage it on this topic. Mm-hmm. or or just just something that would be able to apply directly so that when you go to show a potential employer, you can show them that you can do this. And I think that there's a disconnect there with a lot of a lot of our curriculum that doesn't look like that. you can't you can't show an employer and college essay. It doesn't really strike the same chord as having a portfolio piece that might require identical skills. Mm-hmm. That is such an excellent point and so well put. And I'm just thinking about the first time anybody ever said to me, and it was someone from career and employment services at Puget Sound said to me, you know, this says three years of experience, but it doesn't say three years of full-time work experience. Mm -hmm. Like you have experience, you have skills that you've learned, figure out how to show them and talk about them was um, in the, in the same way that you just said was really impactful. Quinnell, you, um, also have some exciting news, some exciting recent news. <laughs> I do. What is happening next? What are you going to do next, Paul? <laughs> what is next? Well, you see, I am going to move to Washington, <laughs> D.C. to attend law school at American University. You sure are. <laughs> um, first of all, huge congratulations. Thank you. How did you decide that was something you wanted? How did you even decide applying to law school was something you wanted to do? I so I want to say I have no idea. No, I think that I think that applying to law school, well, first of all, my father has been trying to pressure me to apply to law school <laughs> for years, but I truly have no interest in being a lawyer. So I'm just going to start with that. That is still true and has always been true. I don't think I want to be a lawyer. However, um, I was living in a building downtown. This is such a strange way to be inspired to to join the law. And I'm there. I'm sure there are far better reasons. Um, This is not the only reason that I put in my application. Mm -hmm. However, I'm just going to tell you guys the true story. Um, I was living in a building downtown and it's one of those classic, you know, eyesore apartment buildings that has a key card to get into the building and then another key card or a key to get into your room. Yeah. And 
your room like you live in a hotel because that's how it feels <laughs> um, your apartment and i remember feeling like if a politician wanted to go door to door as i had been taught in my youth that they did yeah. to speak to the people that they represent that there would be a huge population of people who live in these weird mega apartments that were just completely inaccessible right you know outside big big letters no loitering and they're not letting you into that gate because you want to talk to somebody about voting yeah um and i thought i've never heard any politician be upset about this <laughs> Hmm. No one's ever talked about how difficult it is to access the people that they represent. And that sounded to me like they weren't trying. <laughs> right. Right. And so we have all these conversations about having representatives that don't really represent us, that we don't feel heard by them. You know, call your local representative, but you're calling a stranger. And hmm. I don't even know anybody, especially not in my tax bracket, that has ever been approached by a politician to see what their needs might be as a citizen. Yeah. And that got me really upset. <laughs> and I started thinking that it would be nice to have somebody who actually cared about people's well-being and that that shouldn't be shocking. And I think uh, at this time, every, you know, the our political system working the way that we were even told that it worked as children sounds as fanciful fanciful so a lot of other things that we were told as children yeah. it sounds like a fiction like a kind fiction that you tell kids right and everybody gets to vote and you go and you get your sticker and that is the yeah, basis of the country yeah well, yeah, well that somebody comes and speaks to the representatives and they they go out and they campaign personally with you know, starting with districts and neighborhoods until they get into larger and larger areas. And they, mm -hmm. they speak to people and they inspire people to go out and vote for them. And when you vote for them, they represent you and they represent their interests, your interests on a larger scale. Yeah. You should have a senator that you feel like should represent you in the Senate. And nobody feels that way. <laughs> So few, so, so few people, you know, you have exceptions like, you know, like Bernie Sanders and also AOC. And I thought a lot about her because she is also in her 20s. She's a young woman. And the way that she won her seat was essentially going door to door mm -hmm. in her own neighborhood and having an incumbent that was absolutely unconcerned with her efforts even emphasized more to me how little people think that the vote counts and what people say and people support how little you actually see it on the other end. And I just thought somebody has to do it and nobody wants to do it. So I suppose I'll go to law school, which made my father very, very happy <laughs> to be a lawyer. <laughs> but to study policy, which is not a requirement, you don't have to do that to run for any office, which, you know, college is expensive. So I wouldn't speak on that without all the scholarships that I received. Just a light flex um but <laughs> a well-deserved one <laughs> going for kind of free um but with you know that's it's not a requirement but I just I really wanted to understand how the law worked if I wanted to try to make some sort of difference to at least you know starting the people in my community and you know I decided to do that before December but I think 
you know, people see, see that, you know, Georgia going blue is a big deal to a lot of people who knows if our senators will really um, represent our interests. I know they didn't go door to door, but (laughs) um, being able to see that you can touch people's lives, particularly Stacey Abrams and her part in that, and, you know, speak with people individually and inspire them to vote and to try to have their own interests heard. I just thought that was pretty inspiring. And if, if the, the commercial people won't call me back, then I'd like to have a hand in that. <laughs> Do you yourself want to run for office? Or when you yes. think about, yes, in Georgia? Uh, yes, preferably. I cannot wait to see you do that (laughs) what a terrifying thing to have said on something that (laughs) on on a recording (laughs) that people will have Um, but but yes I I think one great thing though like the big lesson I took out of college I think is you can walk into an experience with all kinds of expectations and sometimes you do exactly that sometimes your guess was right Mm -hmm. And sometimes you step out into a different life, but whatever you step out into is the right thing. If you do something different than what you thought or expected, it's because you would rather do what you chose to do because you you grew and learned and evolved and chose differently. Yeah. I I think that I, I hope that that's really my future. Alternatively, I discovered that a lot of legislators don't write their own laws. (laughs) which I guess should seem obvious because you don't have to go to law school, but there are also teams of lawyers responsible for writing legislation. So I think maybe if I have to be a lawyer, that would be the one. But uh, for now, I think I really want to set my sights on really trying to become a representative of the people if I can one day. Quinnell, we end every episode by asking everybody the same four questions. The first question is, where is your favorite place on campus? Oh, bother. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many places that I love on campus. Okay. Um, The middle of Todd Field on the first day of like sunny spring. What are you reading right now? I'm reading a short story called a short sort of science fiction story. I don't know. It's called the brick moon. It's very funny and very odd. Where is the best place to eat in Tacoma? Hmm. I guess I would say trappers, but uh, I don't know. Then they abandoned us and moved over to Puyallup. (laughs) So, uh, I don't know if Gateway to India is still there. It sure is. Then that's the one. (laughs) And Quinnell, lastly, what makes Puget Sound special? I think the people, obviously, that make up the community, but really their love of changing other people's lives, of being a part of that, that you don't... I mean, I can't speak for all the departments, but... (laughs) Uh, in my experience, you don't meet a lot of professors who just go into teaching thinking that they're just doing their job. They they care a lot about what you think and they want to see 
what you do with that information. They want to see where you take the things that you learned. And they're, they're willing to, to stick with you along the way, even postgraduate, to, to see how they impacted you. And I think more than anything, they really bring their love of their own material and their love of teaching, but more than anything, their love of like touching the world through those students' lives into their classrooms every day. And I think that the students come out better for it than I've seen in a lot of other places. Like you don't, it's rare that you forget professors. <laughs> you know, you, you ask people who, who they took their freshman year that, that really impacted them. And, you know, most people have someone and they, they didn't just, you know, zombie through their classes that they were, they were really touched through, through pedagogy. And that's on Dexter Gordon. So. <laughs> Quinnell Bethlehemy, thank you for joining me today on the Puget Sound podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Elena. Thanks for listening to PS, the Puget Sound podcast. If you're interested in applying to or visiting Puget Sound, you can find out more at pugetsound.edu slash admission. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at UNIV, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. I'm Elena Becker, and we'll see you next time for P.S., the Puget Sound Podcast.